Welcome back, everybody, to Beyond the Shadows, a Moth and Ghost story, and I'm Mike Ricksacker. Have a fantastic show coming up for you tonight. American ancient sites of power. Yes, they do exist. There is ancient history here in America, and we're also going to get into how these ancient cultures harnessed this energy that basically the Earth's energy grid, that uh, energy that wells up from the Earth's magnetic core. We were just talking about this sort of thing in our last show on Edge of the Rabbit Hole with Mark Anthony when we were talking about the Bermuda Triangle. We got into that sort of subject. We're going to be hitting that really hard here with American ancient sites of power and even how it affects uh, different things today, like different uh, locations that we go and investigate as paranormal investigators or may even, even affect the local area. Uh, but before we get into all of that, a couple things. Uh, first of all, this is our last broadcast uh, until after Thanksgiving. So uh, next week, which is Thanksgiving week, no broadcast from either Edge of the Rabbit Hole or Beyond the Shadows uh, for our KGRA broadcast. Um, if, if Bill needs those, I guess we'll get him some reruns. But uh, we won't have any new broadcasts next week. And then also, of course... This episode of Beyond the Shadows brought to you by Hunter Road Roast. Helps young ghosts. There you go. All right. That one was for Tim Schoen. Tim, hope you're uh, feeling better this evening. All right. So now that we're into November, we're in the home stretch of 2020. Did you guys check out the uh, Haunted Presidents uh, video on the Hunter Road Media YouTube channel? <laughs> Yeah, I hope we're through all the election stuff by now. I know. It's just, it's been one thing after another with this year. But we're going to come out into 2021 and have a much better year. Right? Right. Okay. So we've just got to get through the next month and a half and we'll be good. All right. So American Ancient Sites of Power. Um, this is been an interesting topic to me as I get further and further and further into uh, my research in what I've been calling the connected universe. I was just a week and a half ago now out at, um, well, I was out, out in the Alton, Illinois area and doing some research there for the Shadow Dimension Project, with which many of you know is the uh, docuseries that's going to be coming out here in a few months. Did the last bit of filming for that uh, a week and a half ago. And so right now it's all in the post-production and, and all that great stuff. But while I was out there, one of the interesting things about that area there in, in Alton, of course, we're going to get into a bit of uh, the Mineral Springs Hotel and all that because uh, many of you are well aware of all the investigations and work that's been done there. But right down the road, um, just really a, a few miles this come on come on up there we go okay so it was a little slow here uh is cahokia mounds i know those listening to the uh podcast are not going to be able to see this but um i'll try to describe it as best i can what we're looking at here is basically the stairs these are the stairs of the uh, monk's mound of cahokia mounds and this is the largest pyramid uh north of mesoamerica so it's the largest pyramid in the united states yes we we do we do have a few here we actually have a number of different mound sites across the united states we're going to get into several of these and these are many of our ancient structures unfortunately there's a plethora of them um, scores of them great number that have been plowed up into farmland but we still have many of them left and this happens to be one of them Cahokia Mounds and you know it's a really really interesting location um, when you go there of course this was if you look at the well this is an aerial view um, so you can actually get an idea of how big it actually is and you can walk right up those stairs go to the top of this mound it was not a burial mound uh, it was actually a religious center, which a, a number of these mounds actually were. Um, you know, some people, you know, kind of get, I, I don't know, a little confused thinking that, you know, you're climbing up in these mounds and, oh, my God, you know, you're on top of a burial mound. Like, no, the, the burial mounds that exist, you're not allowed to climb up. But mounds like this that were used as a temple site, yes, you're allowed to climb up to the top of them. That's okay. 
Um, and there are a few of those like that here in our discussion this evening. So, yeah, Cahokia is very uh, interesting. Go up to the top of there, and you can see for miles and miles around, you can you can see all the way to St. Louis, and you see uh, the Gateway Arch from there and all the tall buildings and everything. Uh, you can kind of, um, you know, look up the river toward all, because the, the Mississippi is right out there, and there's an interesting uh, artist's rendition here. Let's get back to it, of the location when it was actually inhabited uh, by the by the natives. So the the area around here was originally settled around 600 AD, uh, but they didn't get into the mound building until about 1050 AD. And then it lasted, it was flourished for several hundred years till about 1350 AD, and then they abandoned it. And what's interesting is that um, at about 1250 AD, it actually, in this area here around the mound site, and you kind of see the artist's interpretation of all the little huts and you know, you know people's homes and, and what have you, it actually had a larger population at the time than London, England. This was a major metropolis, you know, right here in America along the Mississippi. And kind of see uh, those that are watching the live stream up in the upper left-hand corner, uh, that bigger river that's up there, that's the Mississippi. Um, this is right, basically right along the Mississippi River, which is um, where Alton is. And so one of the things that I wanted to cover uh, in the uh the the shadow dimension series as we're going because this is primarily about shadow activity but why is it occurring uh, and i'm going to a number of different locations that you know may have portal activity mineral springs is one of them and you know cahokia is right there along the mississippi river just like alton is just like mineral springs is you know, why is it that they built this thing right there, this massive, massive mound structure? And, you know, as we dive deeper and deeper into, um, you know, these ancient sites like this, when we talk about, I'll start like Cahokia like this, we talk about, you know, the, the, the pyramids of Giza, or we talk about Stonehenge or Karnak or, or any of these locations like that, uh, these are sites that the ancients are trying to harness the earth's energy and so in a location like this what's really fascinating is you know we talk about the uh the water mississippi river being a massive conductor of energy well if we go a little bit north of cahokia we get into alton there by mineral springs you have the limestone bluffs again the limestone another fantastic conductor of energy and then when we get into um actual mineral springs hotel which we'll get to in here in just a moment the actual mineral spring is still there in the basement of that of that hotel so it's also interesting about that area that um that i dove into while i was there uh, was the the piasaw caves and so this is like just north of alton uh, another fantastic little location. Most people don't know about the the parking lot um, is kind of like a stopping point for, well, bikers will go there. Um, there was some crazy group of, um, it was some sort of Mustang GT club that they, they all had to have really loud engines. And there was like four of these guys that all came in, they met up and then they drove out blaring the engines it was like seriously okay but i guess that's a thing but the actual caves themselves are, are pretty cool and an opportunity that i had this time that i don't usually get is uh to actually take a peek inside <laughs> usually um you know the the fences are completely you know closed off and you can just like kind of peer through them but one of the doors was open and so I actually got to go inside. And so here's one of those these photos. And so, again, a very interesting location that the indigenous peoples of the area use. Of course, you have the legend of the pie saw that's there with the, you know, um, the, it's kind of like the griffin with the antlers. And then these caves 
Um, they use for a number of different reasons. Even the locals, when we get back to Mineral Springs, uh, the Lure brothers would actually take meat into these caves because it was cool and to keep it cold and keep it refrigerated because they had their meat packing plant and they would bring it up here before uh, they actually built Mineral Springs. And so I think Quarantine Ghost shot me a question here. Yeah. Um, doesn't say who it's from. How? So maybe it's from QG. Uh, how does the alignment of the stars astrology affect these different sites of power? So many of them seem to have some type of association with the stars. Yeah, a lot of them are are astronomically aligned. So we're going to get into some of that with some of these different locations here. Of course, a lot of them align with the rising or setting of the sun on the solstice. So they're, a lot of them are keeping track of, um, you know, for whether it's for ceremonial purposes. A lot of the hinges were used as calendars so that you would know, you know when to plant your crops and things like that. You know, others, again, were, you know, for kind of ceremonial or, or magical purposes. Uh, but then there are some other alignments here that we're going to get into shortly that are quite interesting because some of them have to do with the afterlife as well in their beliefs um, in you know where the soul goes after after you pass away. So we'll get into this, some of that stuff with uh, some of these different uh, with, with some of these different sites. So sticking with uh, Cahokia, we'll kind of close out uh, this part here. And uh, let's see, get into, there it is. Yeah, I think because I have so many photos here, it's, it's acting a little slow. So I mentioned that the Ks are used for uh, for keeping meat cool. So basically with mineral, the Mineral Springs Hotel, um, the Lure brothers who owned the property um, were, were meat packers. And what they wanted to do was build an ice house uh, because they had just been taking the meat up to the caves to keep it cool and then bringing it back down. And so they wanted something closer to you know their site with, with their meat packing plants. So on this particular site where the hotel is now, um, they dug into the ground, they dug a well uh, to try to get uh, the water so they can build an ice house. And they actually hit a natural mineral spring which you couldn't really use for the ice. But since this was like around 1914, mineral water was huge at the time. So they were bottling it. They created a bottling plant down there and then they built the hotel on top of it, which is what you see today. Uh, this actually goes down five levels. You can kind of see the extra levels along the back side of the hotel. You only see two from the street front. Um, now what's interesting about this uh, location, like I said, they still have the old spring in the ground so you, you go down to the sub basement there's huge hole they've thrown trash into it to, so that you don't fall into it but when we were down there i was down there with coyote chris sutton a week and a half ago and it was kind of sinking in further it wasn't looking very good at all um so it's, it's getting worse uh but you know, we're, we're trying some different things down there. Like we're down there with dowsing rods and, and things like that. And, you know, the rods are pointing right at the, the cistern, the, you know, the hole with the mineral spring. Um, and Chris ended up doing, because he's, uh, he's a shaman, so he did some of his drum work down there as well. So the idea that um, this area does contain some sort of portal activity, that this is why the... Uh, ancient Native Americans were so interested in this particular area um, to be able to tap into this energy that's there, you know, building the mounds of Cahokia, you know, they got their, uh, you know, their caves that are, that are up there and then all kinds of sites up and down the river. Of course, you have the limestone bluffs there as well. So they're going to be extremely interested in this particular location and they're at the hotel all kinds of paranormal and supernatural activity happening uh, to where I, you know, witnessed the the smoke morph, in, the, you know, shadow smoke morph into the apparition of the little girl. I don't know if Tom McNicholas is down there yet. He ended up seeing the little girl. Um, there were five of us that did. It was a very interesting night. Of course, we've experienced many, many other things there as well. 
that was one of the more significant ones. And so part of the idea is to go there and try to get the, the portal activity working to see if we can uh, you know, experience something else. And we did experience some things <laughs> there, uh, which you'll have to wait until um, well a few months from now when the uh, series comes out uh, to find out what happened. But uh, yeah, so that's that's the idea utilizing this natural energy that flows through the earth. And so that's one of the things with the Cahokia Mound that was that they were doing. You know, that that was their big temple mount. So uh okay, so a couple questions here. Betty Lange, uh do all the states have burial mounds? Wisconsin has a few. Um that's a great question. Um, I mean, I haven't canvassed all 50 states to see if there are burial mounds. I mean, naturally, every state has you know people that have been buried. So the, the, the thing is, is that not all mounds are burial mounds. And, and that's kind of what I was trying to get at. Uh, there, are, there are many mounds out there that uh, were not actually, actually burial mounds, that they were actually used for... Um, uh, to put buildings on top of, um, they had other purposes, mostly ceremonial, like the, the tall one, the monk's mound at, uh, Cahokia was, uh, a, again, a temple site. We're going to check out spiral mounds here, uh, in just a moment. And that's another one in which the brown mound was a, uh, was a mound that was a temple site. Yes, there are burial mounds, but not all, not all mounds are burial mounds. Um, so I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look up to see if every state has a burial mound. Um, but there are many. There are certainly many. I know Ms. Wisconsin does. Obviously, Illinois does. Ohio has a bunch. Um, West Virginia. I mean, they are pretty widespread. Uh, Oklahoma, Alabama. Uh, there's, there's a culture, especially up and down the Mississippi, in the, old, the ancient Mississippian culture, uh, that were mound builders. And uh, we'll just we'll just roll right into Spyro uh, here in just a moment. And Adam Tillery, a, a comment here. Uh, I've got a theory that the ancient Welsh originally made the pie supper. It's interesting, interesting idea. Um, you'd have to shoot me some information on that. So, like I said, Spyro Spyro Mount's another one um, from the Mississippian culture. If, mouse on my computer would work here properly so we could shoot over here and here we go so for those that are watching the live stream there you go the spiral mounds um this is some drone footage i took a couple years ago and i guess it's a little hard to see in this but basically where you see those spots of vegetation along this plain uh those are the mounds it, again a little hard to see here with the um with the aerial footage, you can distinctly see what they call brown mound, and that's right dead in the center that has the path completely circling it. Uh, one of the things I do want to note, um, since we're making a differentiation here between uh, burial mounds and mounds that are not burial mounds, there's only one burial mound at spiral mounds, and none of these are that burial mound. Uh, the brown mound in the middle was a, a temple mount, and you can see cutting along the middle, you see kind of like a, um, a line that's been gouged into it right through the middle of it. Um, that's actually a lawnmower path. Uh, they cut a line into it in order, for the, uh, in order for people to actually walk up there. So they're actually encouraging it uh, for, for you to walk up there. The burial mound, they do have one. And if you go um, down the hill, which is this path that leads to the bottom of the photograph, and it keeps going uh, on a ways, it does lead to a burial mound. And this is it. And no, you are not allowed up on the burial mound. Um, and what's sad about this, there are, no, there are no burials really left in here. I mean, there may be a couple of remnants. Uh, what's sad is during the 1930s, there was a... Um, uh, a commercial company who came in, they bought the property, and they just started pillaging the burial mound and, and grabbing whatever valuables and artifacts had been in there. It was, it was absolutely disgraceful. And finally, 
um, the state came in and stopped them from doing that, but it was pretty much too late. Um, in order to make it look like it had once been, they kind of had to uh, to fill it back in and, and make it look like the mound it had once been. Um, but it was it was extremely sad that they had uh, they came in and did that uh, that they pillaged it essentially. And this was still you know 1930s. We still have essentially grave robbers. Um, and unfortunately, that's happened a lot over the millennia. Um, we, there, there's many things that we don't know um, that we could have uh, about ancient cultures, but don't because of grave robbers. Um, so, Sarah Yusuf, is it, common, is it a common theme that most of those sites of power seem to be created by cultures that do not seem technologically able? Well, um, here's what I would say about that. In our eyes... They don't seem technologically able. But is that true that they weren't technologically able? Like you take something like, you know, the pyramids. Okay, how in the world did they do that? You know, with those massive, massive blocks, um, you know, or some of these other sites like Baalbek that, you know, we don't even have a crane now that would be able to lift those blocks, Um does that mean they didn't have the technology then? I think they had the technology then. Um, we just forgot what that technology was. Uh, it, we have a very um, narrow-sighted view of, of technology that we seem to be rather high in ourselves that we're you know, because we have computers, we have cell phones, we have all this, that this is, you know, high technology, and we know better than all the cultures that ever came before us. And I don't think it works like that. I think what happens is, you know, technology rises, and we learn a lot of things, and then it falls. Like, maybe there's a catastrophe, a disaster. We were talking earlier about, um, you know, about diseases, about viruses that were, you know, wiping out civilizations. Uh, we certainly know that during the Great Flood um, that, uh, you know, many, many civilizations were, were lost. And so they probably lost that technology that they had, you know, their know-how. And I guess that's the thing. We use this term technology, this, this technology that they had. They had a high technology. And it's not a high technology as in, you know, the camera that I'm using here or, again, the computer or the cell phone. It's not high technology. It's a, it's a know-how on how to do different things. And so they had a know-how on how to uh, build these different structures. They had a know-how on, on how to tap into this energy that we've lost over time. And because we took technology in a different direction, we didn't reacquire that knowledge that was lost. We just went a different direction and it didn't even occur to us to look over here on how to do that. And so there are some things that we weren't able to do as readily uh, as some of those ancient cultures. Like I said, you know, we have cranes now, or we don't even have cranes now that could pick up some of these, you know, massive blocks at Baalbek or be able to how to, you know, position some of these things like around the pyramids or, or other structures. And, you know, you bring in engineers and you're looking at it like, I have no idea how they did it. You know, modern engineers looking, at it, I have no idea. You know, so it's just a different know-how that they had back then. You know, not that they didn't have technology. They just knew how to do things a different way that we lost. Okay. Um, all right, so with Spyro, what's interesting about Spyro, um, and do, do I have it? I don't have it over here. Darn it. I thought I had it on the desk here. Um, my pendulum. So let me go back to the... For those that are watching the live stream, I'll try to describe it as best I can with, uh, for the podcast. So back here to the Brown Mountain, which is really, really fascinating about Spyro. Okay, so on a live paranormal investigation I did a few years ago with a group there out of uh, Arkansas. I was there for a conference, and they invited me for a nighttime investigation out there at Spyro. I was like, yeah, sure, uh, I'd love to. And we're on top of the... Brown Mountain. Now, I had been broadcasting the live stream fine. We were still kind of out in the middle of nowhere, but I had been broadcasting it fine. 
until we got on top of the Brown Mound. Again, this is an ancient temple site. And we are on that path that they've cut into uh, with the lawnmower, like right in the middle. And the broadcast kept cutting out, kept cutting out, kept cutting out, having all kinds of problems up there with the broadcast. And you can, you can watch it on the Haunted Road Media YouTube channel. Just look up the Spiral Mounds uh, live investigation. And um, I actually recently, just a couple of days ago, had somebody hit me up about that investigation, uh, which is kind of ironic. But um, while that's all going on with the live feed, uh, you can see a little bit of it in that video where I got out my pendulum and I'm trying to do a little pendulum work up there. And the pendulum's going crazy up there. Um, you know, so that was fascinating as well that, okay, um, there's some sort of, uh, a, you know, EMF interference up there because I can't get the broadcast to broadcast out properly. And then the pendulum's going nuts. Now, let me bring the photo back up again. When you come down that uh, lawnmower path, there's the woods right there. So we went down that path into the woods because we thought we heard something coming out of the woods, probably an animal. We never did find what it was. But once I got into the woods, which is a lot more cover than on top of the mound, which is wide open, right? You can see that. It's the top of the, you're, you're at the top of the mound. I should have better signal to you know, the towers and all of that, right? It's wide open. No. Terrible broadcast situation on the top of the mountain. I got into the woods, which is down the hill, and then you're encompassed by all of these trees and everything. You'd think that would be a poorer broadcast location. Nope. Broadcast was clear as a bell. <laughs> so there was definitely something going on in the mountain. Then we go back up on the mound, and, of course, the broadcast crapped back out. So certainly something was going on with the brown mound. Ah, wait, but that's not all. So we did our investigation up there. We start going down the path, again, uh, down the hill toward the burial mound. Now, we're not allowed to investigate on top the burial mound. Um, we did a little work around there and then further on down the path to a, a replica hut that's there. But as I approached the burial mound again, the broadcast bombed out. And so there's something there about those mounds that some sort of energy that they've tapped into that interferes with things like, you know, a cell phone broadcast. And again, on top of the brown mound, I also had the interaction with the pendulum. So there's a lot there going with going on with the mounds. They knew how to harness that energy for their different purposes. And I don't think they're at that particular at that particular location that they're looking to like some people speculate um that the pyramids of Giza were power plants. I don't think that's what they were trying to do at like Cahokia or Sparrow Mounds or something like that. Um, I think it was more of a, um, in, uh, an energy for your body. Um, obviously, on, on top of the Brown Mound, it's a temple. Cahokia is a temple. Um, they're using it for your, um, you know, maybe healing. They could be doing it for healing purposes. There's a lot of speculation about that. Um, or for um, reaching different levels of consciousness that, by using that energy, you can enter into maybe some state of, you know, euphoria that can, instead of using, because like some cultures, especially when you get down into like South America, they will use hallucinogenics for that, or like ayahuasca, things like that, to enter into a different state of consciousness, to interact with, you know, the spirit realm and all that. But you could get the same sort of effect by harnessing that energy and using that energy into your body to enter into those different altered states of consciousness. And that's what um, a, a lot of these ceremonial type places, you know, are going to be doing, or like I said, you know, perhaps the healing. So I'm getting buzzed here with some questions. So we'll take those. Donaliska, ancient Egyptians along with the Atlanteans were very smart ahead of their time. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, speculation 
course, can't be proven. I hope one day we are able to prove it. We did talk a bit about Atlantis there with um, with Mark Anthony. Um, there's a lot of speculation that um, a number of the these cultures around the world that we're aware of today came from Atlantis. Like perhaps the the ancient Egyptians were originally Atlanteans. That when Atlantis was destroyed, that the the peoples dispersed and many of them came to Egypt and that the Egyptians are actually uh, Atlanteans. And that could be why when when Plato went to Egypt and he got that story of Atlantis, it's because it was part of their history. Of course, we have no way to prove that now because that story was in the library at Alexandria and that's gone. So we can't corroborate, you know, what Plato gained from Egypt with the original records in Egypt because they're now gone. Uh, that's something that when we talk about the uh, hidden room under the paw of the Sphinx, that's something people hope is down there. And, you know, there has been, um, you know, gr ground penetrating radar. Um, the, uh, it wasn't ground penetrating radar. It was the, uh, the seismography, um, where they actually detected that that was under the paw. Edgar Casey had said it was there years and years and years ahead of, ahead of that, but this basically confirmed it. Um, but, you know, they won't allow anybody in there, but people speculate that it's like a hall of records and that this would confirm that. We have no idea um, until we actually get down there, or, you know, maybe it's not there, maybe it's somewhere else that we haven't discovered yet. And that's one of the things that's fascinating uh, you know, about this field is that as the years go on, they keep finding more and more and more things. I don't know how many of you saw that recent documentary about Saqqara, but that was absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, it's, it's just things like that, that, you know, I hope to stick around for a long time because I, I hope that a lot of these, uh, questions get answered, you know, for, for a long time, they were saying that, um, you know, the Sphinx couldn't be, possibly be, you know, as old as some people are, are saying it is, like 10,000 years old or whatever, because, you know, there was no civilization back then, and nobody was building structures like that back then, or, you know, and then all of a sudden, yeah, go back to Tepe, and, oh, yeah, they, they, they did build structures like that 10,000 years ago, so it, it's really fascinating. All right, so we had some other questions. That was Donna's. Uh, Betty Lange, Mike, don't you think a good percentage of people using tech have no idea how powerful it is? Just take it for granted. Well, yeah, I, I think um, that's true of, um, you know, at, at any point in time in our, um, in our civilization, uh, you know, we take for granted now the different things that, that we have until, of course, one day, you know, if they're suddenly gone. Like if there was suddenly a uh, an EMP that would wipe out all of our electronic technology, you know, would set us back, you know, what, 150 years, <laughs> you know, uh, we would have, we'd have a hard time because we haven't retained our know-how and how to just, you know, basic survival. So that would, you know, we do take it for granted that we can just go to a store and we can buy our meat and produce and all that. If we were to lose that um, and, and fend for ourselves, you know, that would basically make our world chaotic. So, um, from Alina, Mike, do you think that too much technology messes with us spiritually? That's a good question. Um, do we start forgetting that... Um, that there is a spirit realm and whatever your belief is, if you believe in a higher power, um, do you start forgetting, I believe in a higher power, um, you start forgetting that there's a higher power and that does, do all the electronics become your God? Um, yeah, I, I certainly believe that that happens with people, that, um, you know, their God and the things that they worship are, you know, they're, they're material items and, and the technology that they have, their cell phone or what. I mean, you see these people, like, they, they cannot possibly live at all without, without their cell phone. I mean, admittedly, I would have a hard time right now getting along without a computer. I mean, one, my day job is by computer, so that would make it extremely difficult to, um, you know, work my job. But, you know, just in everything that I do here with, um, 
with Edge of the Rabbit Hole, Beyond the Shadows, Haunted Rogue Media, um, all of that, um, you know, is extensively computer driven. Um, I can write without a computer. It'd be a lot slower. In some ways, I actually prefer writing by hand because that's kind of the way I grew up as a kid. Um, but it's so much quicker using the computer. So, um, and then, you know, all the publishing, when you submit documents and, and things like that these days, it's all computer, computer, computer. So I would, I would have a difficult time getting along, uh, without that. Now that doesn't mess with me spiritually. Um, but for some people it does, it does. So, all right, let's move along from, uh, Spyro. Cause that's, that's um was an interesting location. I had some interesting experiences. Now, all of this, Cahokia, Spyro, uh, these are part of what we call the Mississippian culture. Uh, another one that I'm going to briefly talk about um, is Moundville. And I haven't personally been there uh, to Moundville. Now, these were all like around the same, kind of almost the same set of years. So what I mean by that, I'll bring up Moundville here real quick. Um like Cahokia, uh, it's it's basically reign of power was 1050 AD to 1350 AD. Spyro was 950 AD to 1450 AD. Moundville is 1000 AD to 1450 AD. So they all kind of lasted around the same number of years, around the same time frame. So that kind of 950 to 1450 AD, that that chunk of 500 years there. And they all built similar structures here. So you can see here at Moundville, um, again, the, the various mounds and what have you. Um, what's interesting uh, about this location um, is that there are some tie-ins, and I forgot to add the photo, Michael. All right, I need to get the photo here. Um, or did I move it? Nope. All right, so let me add this real quick. Sorry to the podcast people for those on the live stream. I'm going to add this here real quick. I just need to find it. Um, wow, what in the world did this do? It put me to a different location. That's kind of nuts. So, all right. Hang on, let's try this again. Oy. Again, I apologize, people. And because basically, it's it's an artifact that was found there at Moundville that uh, that is important to their culture, but there are tie-ins to other cultures around the world. Okay. So this is the rattlesnake disc. Um, the hand in the middle is a Mississippian culture depiction of Orion, the constellation of Orion, while the eye in the middle represents a portal in the sky. And it's through this portal that uh, the souls of the deceased are supposed to travel on their way to the afterlife. Now, this is very, very similar in nature to the Egyptians. Uh, in ancient Egyptian culture, when the there were seven parts of the soul in the Egyptian culture, and uh, a number of those parts of the soul would pass on to the constellation of Orion. Uh, there are other parts, two other parts, that the animating force that would stay here on Earth. One of those, the K-bit, the shadow, and we, we talk about that in um, you know some of the shadow person stuff. Um, so there are some parallels here between the Egyptians and the Mississippian uh, cultures. And I've, I've talked before, when we've talked about shadow people, that there are some Native American beliefs as well in which... Um, they have multiple parts of the soul in their beliefs, and like I just said, with the Egyptians, they do as well. So it's kind of interesting to see how there are uh, seemingly almost influences somehow from the Egyptian culture 
that filtered over here into America with our ancient uh, Native American cultures. Um, I'm not going to dive too deep into that because I haven't done enough study on that yet, but I will point you to a source right back here on my bookshelf. So um, Graham Hancock in America Before talks about a lot of this type of stuff, and I found it absolutely fascinating. So it's definitely it's, it's a book that I recommend. Um, but he noticed a lot of those parallels going to a number of these different uh, sites around America where it's like, hey, that kind of ties into, you know, a lot of the stuff that the, the ancient Egyptians believed. Um, and it's truly fascinating how, you know, cultures that are, you know, supposed to have never met you know, may have had some influences there. So you can kind of almost go back to uh, the Atlanteans, you know, when that civilization was destroyed, the survivors, did some of them end up over here in America? Yeah, we, we believe some of them uh, ended up, you know, perhaps they're in Egypt, other parts of, you know, the Mediterranean basin. But did some of them end up out here in America? Maybe. It, it's it's quite possible. You know, we're already seeing Adam Tillery's there watching uh, Oak Island while he's watching us and you know they're finding artifacts there on that island that predate what we previously be believed was the discovery of America and I'm not talking about Christopher Columbus I'm talking about like even the Vikings and whatnot um, and some of those artifacts predate even that so what we think we know about uh, you know ancient America yeah, we're just scratching the surface here. There's a lot that we still don't know about who came here first and how this this land was actually originally founded. So, all right. So that was uh, Moundville. And there were other uh, locations for the Mississippian culture. Not going to get into to all of those. Um but again, you'll find you know the mounds in different locations um, around America, uh, those type of mounds. We're actually going to take a step back. We're going to take a step back. Um, again, earthworks, mounds, what have you. But we're actually going to step back into the Hopewell culture with the Great Circle earthworks. And why is that not? Okay, there we go. So kind of hard to see from this aerial drone shot, um, but vaguely you can see the opening there uh, into the Great Circle Earthworks. This is in Newark, Ohio. It's just northeast of Columbus. Um, you can kind of see on the right-hand side the, uh, the, cir the circle wall, and then there's the opening, and it's hard to see the other part of it because of the trees. And here's another photo for you. This does not do it justice. Um, these are actually quite tall. It just looks like a, it looks like a ditch and then a hill. Um, but it's actually a very extensive wall. In fact, the, the Great Circle itself is 1,200 feet wide. It's massive, massive, massive. Um, to give you an idea, um, you know, here's the, basically the map of the area. So that great circle um, is there at the very bottom of this map of the area. Um, now consider, I mean, take a look at it. That is 1,200 feet across. 1,200 feet across. And look at the rest of the structures throughout. Okay, the, the great octagon over there is even bigger. These are massive, massive sites. Now, um, what is kind of sad in a way is that most of the earthworks there around Newark, now that the Great Circle is is its own park. In fact, for a number of years, the locals, like in the 1800s, used the Great Circle as their fairgrounds. Go figure that. Um, but most of the other spots, the like the octagon and all that, is actually part of a golf course now, which you know, is kind of a shame. It's like, really, the earthworks are a golf course? It has, in a sense, helped to preserve it. Um, if the golf course didn't come in, um, basically, it 
would have met the fate of a lot of these structures. Um, Ohio was loaded with all kinds of earthworks like this and mounds, and um, most of it was tilled under for farmland. You'll find that throughout the entire Midwest, that most of the uh, earthworks and mound structures were tilled up and turned into farmland long, long ago before you have any of these, you know, preservation societies that come in and like, oh, hey, stop, or like, you know, the state or you know, federal coming, but nope, you can't touch that. Um, you know, 150, you know, 200 years ago, whatever, they're just, oh, you know, it's good farmland. Uh, there's a mound or hill type thing over there. We'll just plow that right under. So a lot of that stuff was lost, unfortunately. Um, so the golf course, though, being there, actually prevented that from happening. Um, but yeah, and then there's the idea that, wait a minute, this is an ancient structure and they're playing golf on it. Yeah, there's that, you know. Um, what is really fascinating, though, um, okay, so... This whole site, you guys have asked about like astronomical alignments and all that. These are astronomically aligned um, and not just in the structure itself, um, but also, oh, and that's part of another, did I, did I forget? I forgot the other map. Okay. I was trying to get all this together before the show, of course, and... Um, you know, I guess I just didn't get it all. Sorry about that. So High Bank Works is the other one. Now, the High Bank Works is another site in Ohio, but it's like more than 60 miles away from the Newark Earthworks. You can see it's the same type of um, design work. You know, if you compare that with, um, with Newark, you can see Octagon and Circle. Great, we have octagon and circle. You see that, and this is just a part of the map. There, there's more structures there and what have you. So they're more than 60 miles apart, and they are oriented at precisely, or High Banks is oriented precisely at 90 degrees to that of the earthworks in Newark. So that's some amazing precision. That is absolutely amazing that this culture from, and, and we're talking like earlier, we're, we're talking like around 100 to 400 AD, this ancient Native American culture. And we call the Hopewell, which is, that's, that's not really what they were called. We don't know what they were called. Hopewell was just the last name of the guy that owned the property uh, there in Newark. It was the Hopewell family that owned the property with the earthworks, but at 100, 400 AD, somehow two sites, 60 miles apart, they are aligning perfectly at 90 degree angles. That's just crazy. Um, you know, you're talking uh, earlier, asking earlier about, you know, high technology or, um, you know, they, they had some sort of knowledge, some sort of know-how back then to be able to do something like that. I mean, yes, these days, we could align something at 90-degree angles over 60 miles. Yeah. Um, did our European ancestors, if, I guess if you're from Europe, I don't know, um, or even some of our Asian ancestors or what have you, could they do that in 100 to 400 AD? I mean, the Romans were good. I don't know if over 60 miles they could align something perfectly at 90 degrees It'd be tough. I know they. I know Roman. The Romans were great architects, but you know, think about what they had here. I mean, these these are earthworks, so we're talking like mud, <laughs> mud and grass. But they did this. It's pretty amazing. All right. So I think there were a couple other questions that came in here. Um. Yep. Uh, Sarah Youssef, do these sites of power line up with Tulurk lines or simply uh, longitudinally? Okay, so that's a good question. Grab a little water here. So what ends up happening, because a, a common misnomer is um, 
calling the telluric currents ley lines. And so what they did, the ancients, is they, they built on the telluric currents. They knew where these currents were, especially when you had telluric currents that cross. And that's where some of these sites are, like the pyramids. The pyramids are like on one of those crossing points uh, because there's a greater... Uh, welling up of energy in that location when you have two of them that cross. And so they built on these currents. Well, over the years, what would happen is, okay, you'd have like a little, maybe it was a hinge, and then another culture came along and, you know, they built on top of where the hinge was, or there was a little temple that was there, and they built on top of the temple with a, like a church, and then, you know, a bigger church. And so over millennia you had people building structures on top of structures on top of structures utilizing the original temple or whatever is there and incorporated that into their uh, structure you see that all over the world and so over time it was kind of forgotten why the original building was built there but the original building was built there uh, to tap into that tiller current, you know, for that, again, like we were talking about before, you know, for that, you know, to reach a higher consciousness or alter state of reality or for healing purposes, a lot of different reasons they would be tapping into it. And over the years, as one person would build here, one person would build there, one person would build there, we ended up noticing that they all lined up. And so that's what ended up becoming the ley line. Um, so it, it ends up lining up because of that, but they were originally building on those spots to tap into the energy. Um, Victoria Monday at quarantine ghost during the Texas revolution, burial mounds were created when the defenders were overtaken. Could heroes create a source of power or does the land create the power site? Um, well, okay. So, you have two different things there. So, when, when we're talking about this type of stuff, we're, we're mostly talking about, okay, for like an ancient site of power, we're mostly talking about, you know, tapping into like the Earth's energy grid, the telluric currents, all that, and be able to, u- and be able to utilize that energy. As far as what you're talking about with with a revolution, you're talking about a lot of bloodshed, that's a totally different type of energy. Now you're talking about energy that's been expelled in a very bloody fashion um, that you're talking about death. Um, You're talking about gore. You're talking about violence. So it's a release of energy in a very different way that the land will then have captured, whether it's in, you know, if, there's, if there are some buildings that have survived since that time, maybe that energy is becoming embedded in the building or into, um, you know, maybe some of the surrounding rock structures or something like that. And then it continues to, you know, emanate that, that energy or, you know, we're basically getting into stone tape theory here, you know, and then, you know, we don't know what the catalyst is to be able to release that energy, and then we experience something supernatural, paranormal, or you just get like kind of the creepy, eerie vibe or what have you because of that. Um, so these are really two different types of energy that we're talking about here. Um, um, so, Betty Lang, you might, uh, there's that belief that continents were connected ancient times, so that is why we're still seeing similar buildings. Yeah, Pangea, but that was like millions and millions and millions of years ago, um, you know, long before humans came around. So, um, you know, some of the similarities that we're seeing here now, um, you take, 10,000, 20,000 years ago, there were still some differences in the world in that, um, you know, the the ocean levels were different. So, you know, we have a lot of, uh, you know, ancient cities that are underwater right now because the water level's higher. You know, ever since the last ice age, of course, we 
you know, more and more ice has been melting. Uh, yeah, climate change is a thing. It's always existed. <laughs> um, and we've had peaks and valleys since that, that last ice, ice age. You know, we go through warming trends, we go through cooling trends, we go through warming trends, we go through cooling trends. Um, you know, climate change happens. It, it has always been there. Um, and so at different times, you know, like the, the, uh, the Bering Sea up there between Russia and Alaska, at one point that was a land bridge, but that's not the only way that they came across. And that's, that's kind of a misnomer in itself that um, not all of, you know, the peoples that populated the Americas came across that land bridge and then filtered down because uh, they were finding that there are different DNA types down in, in South America that could not possibly exist if that had been the case, if they all filtered down that way. And that it appears that some people came across somehow, uh, you know, by boat or raft or whatever they used to cross the seas back then. Um, they found their ways across. Um, you know, you look at something like Easter Island, um, it, it it seems to be that was an archipelago at one time. Now it's just one single island, um, but it was a much, you know, bigger area of land. And, you know, that was populated by a, apparently a, uh, a culture from, from Asia or maybe even Indonesian. They came down toward Easter Island and they even ended up filtering out into uh, South America. So there's a lot of different ways that they, that they came across. But when it was all one landmass, uh, Pangea, that was like... A long, long, long ago before <laughs> humans even existed. So, you know, we're talking like dinosaur time. Um, all right. So, you know, we're getting down toward the end here. Um, there are a couple other things I wanted to cover real quick. Um, Newark, they're at the Newark Earthworks. I did want to uh, cover this story real quick. You guys saw the photo there for a brief second. This is what they call Eagle Mound. It's kind of hard to see in this photo because you kind of just see a tree sticking up out of the middle and then these like little bumps. But from the air, it looks like an eagle. And, you know, again, we don't believe that's what they actually call it. It may not have even been in the shape of an eagle originally. Um, you know, the, the site is kind of, you know, worn down. It may have been something else or like one big, you know, mount in the middle for, again, maybe a temple or whatever. But when I was taking the overhead shots uh, with the drone, um, I launched it off of the Eagle Mount. Here's the crazy thing about this. So I had a fully charged drone take up there. Now my, my drone uh, gets about 24 minutes of flight time. I didn't have it up there, but about three or five, maybe not even five minutes. And, you know, to get those, I got a couple of shots, um, a little bit of video, and then, you know, this photo here, and one other photo, and then all of a sudden, it started screaming at me, the drone, the, the handheld uh, part of the drone, in my, which is basically my phone, um, started screaming at me that it was out of battery, and I had to bring it back down launching it from the Eagle Mound, right in the middle of the Great Circle. So again, you're looking at possibly uh, some sort of magnetic field interfering with electronics, namely my drone. <laughs> you know, what in the world happened there that it affected my drone? You know, the, the Eagle Mound, again, we really don't know what it once had been. It's a lot of speculation. Um, but it was something special, obviously, that they built right in the middle of this circle. And if it was somehow harnessing that earth energy, well, I think it affected my drone that day. Again, some people could just say it's speculation, but, um, but it is what it is. All right. Uh, one last place, and I'm being told by um, Quarantine Ghost uh, that Tom McNicholas sent a uh, super uh, super chat, which on 
the channel. We don't have Super Chat enabled through YouTube yet, but we do have the link down there to do a, uh, a PayPal Super Chat. So thank you very much, Tom, for donating a PayPal Super Chat. Absolutely appreciate that. So um, awesome, awesome. I, I think that's the first one we've had through uh, PayPal like that. <laughs> so I uh, really do appreciate that. Um, all right, and the last one I wanted to mention is Chaco Canyon. Uh, this was a bucket list item of mine that I finally got to do um, almost exactly a year ago. In another week, it will have been a year um, that I went to go out and went out to Chaco Canyon. That was a Shockfest Film Festival in Las Vegas, um, and. Well, I met Nicole out there, <laughs> and um, not for that reason. I was out there for Shockfest. Um, she just also happened to be there. And on the way back, I stopped off at Chaco Canyon, which was a bucket list item of mine. Again, it's one of these ancient sites that, um, you know, when we talk about ancient America, you know, keeping in context what ancient is between here and, say, um, you know, some of the other parts of the world. But you know, this culture between 900 and 1150 A.D., um, this is still considered sacred ancestral homeland to the Hopi and Pueblo. So there's some contention here um, about the park services uh, operating out of this site. And I also do have to throw this out there. Um, like in my other videos, calling them the Anasazi ruins, because that's what I've always known them as. And I've always known the Anasazi to be um, you know, the great ones from, from the past. You know, we believe that the Hopi are descended from, from these peoples. Um, but the, the current Hopi and others prefer, um, these ancient peoples to be called ancestral Puebloans. Um, I, I kind of got dinged on this on my, on my video by somebody <laughs> that, um, the term Anasazi was actually a Navajo term meeting ancient enemies, not ancient ones. And so they don't like the term Anasazi anymore. That's, that's the term I grew up with, so I don't know. In any case, the site itself um, is extremely interesting. Again, it's one of those is astronomically aligned. You know, they basically you know, traveled out there to the desert to do their ceremonies. They only lived there for a very short period of time during the year, and they'd go back to their, to their homeland. Um, and you can see from, this is one of the great kivas where they would do their, their ceremonies. And there's still a lot of debate as to how this actually looked when it was fully formed. You know, if there was a, you know, a wooden top over a wooden roof or was domed or a lot of different theories and speculation um, you can, um, and I don't have the overhead here. I'm not going to take the time to add it, but, um, but with the overhead, it was again, astronomically aligned, um, you know, they're, you know, they, they would talk about the, the star people and that's what some of these petroglyphs are about or, you know, concerning the star people. So of course the ancient alien guys are thinking that they're aliens and what have you. Um, we don't know. Um, and then you have the swirl here with some of these petroglyphs and a lot of times the swirl, uh, petroglyphs are related to, uh, portals and energy. Um, again, choosing this site out in the desert, uh, it's believed that they are harnessing through these great kivas, uh, the energy at that particular location. And I'll tell you, being out there, you do get that that buzz that, you know, there is something special about that location. You can just, you can go out there and you can feel it. it. It's right there in the land. And, you know, they, they let you walk throughout that. You can't walk into you know, every nook and cranny, but most of it you can walk through and you certainly feel the energy out there. And they were doing something there uh, to harness that with their, uh, different ceremonies and, and rituals. So uh, very, very interesting location. Highly recommend it. I can't dive too deep into it right now because we are basically out of time. Ancient Sites of Power in America. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Really do thank you for joining me this evening. This is our last broadcast, uh, live broadcast until 
after Thanksgiving. We'll be back on December 1st.